So I was thinking about what I should title this because I am wise enough because Roger's preached a few times to know that there will be a phone call that comes my way that says, what do you want to call your preach on Sunday? <laughs> From Caroline. So I thought about it beforehand, okay? So, um, and there was a little revelation that God gave me when I was out by my new fave place to be, which is a lake I've discovered that's in walking distance of our house. Um, and I'd just been spending some time with God there. And like one of the things that God spoke into me that day was that the path obedience of obedience is the path of transformation. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, that's cool. So I could call it that. But that call, it's not quite in capturing what I really felt God wanted to say today. What I really felt like God wanted to say to us today was that he's more interested in what happens to my heart on the journey than he is in me reaching my destination. Yeah. But that's not a very snappy title, is it? And then, because Roger had a vague idea what I was talking about, on Friday I get home from having been out praying and like, you know, trying to get this word in my heart and be prepared to give to you. And he said, hey, listen to this. And he shows me this bit of clip from Chris Vallotton. You all know who Chris Vallotton is? Ace preacher, funny dude, you know. It'd be really cool to preach like him. Uh, but hey, I'm Olive, sorry. <laughs> um, and like, he had this one line in the thing and I thought, oh, he can come up with it so snappy. And he had this line that says, we try to get to a place but God is wanting to build a person. And I just thought, yeah, I recognise all of that. So that's what I want to talk about today, but I'm not going to nick his title because there's probably some sort of copyright over it. So I'll stick with one of mine. But that's what I feel God wants to share with us today. You know, we're so often keen to get somewhere, but God is much more interested in what goes on here, in me. Sorry, I probably shouldn't do that with the mic on, should I? <laughs> okay, so you're probably wondering what all this is. Um, this is a mountain. I told you it was very um, Blue Peter homemade. <laughs> This is a mountain, and this mountain today is going to represent my life and your life, okay? So here's you and me, and we decide that we're going to be born again, followers of Christ, and we think, cool, there we go, straight up the mountain, so it's very steep, mate, straight up the mountain to the top that destination that God's got for us. And we've heard about it this morning, haven't we? About wanting to, and it'll come out later, I think, a bit as well about our destiny, what the call God has for our lives. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, I bet if I did a poll right now, we'd probably be split 50-50, maybe not, I don't know what the, what the percentage would be, but we'd be probably a bit, a bit split. Some of you would be going, yeah, I'm a really goal-driven person. I really know where I'm going. I know what goals I'm after. I know what I'm going to achieve. I know by this age, I'm going to be this, and this age, I'm going to be this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to achieve this. Some of you would be like that. <laughs> no nods. Probably a lot of us wouldn't be, if we're honest, and we feel a bit guilty, don't we, because we're not very goal-oriented. Okay. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> Some of us aren't. Some of us aren't very goal-oriented, and we probably couldn't tell you what we wanted to do in next year's time, or where we think we're going, or what we're going. Some of us will feel really clear about what God's call on our life is. Like the Apostle Paul was pretty clear, kind of came to him in a blinding revelation, and God left him with no questions about what his his task for God was, what his call, what his purpose was. Some of you may be sitting here and saying, yeah, I've encountered God in a really dramatic way like that, and I really know what his call on my life is and what I'm, where I'm headed. Some of you might not. Some of you might think, actually, right now it's this, but it might be something else in a little while. Um, I have the um, wisdom of years to know that that's kind of something that happens along the way. Um, but I would like to suggest today <laughs> that God actually has an overriding purpose for all of us. So if you're sitting there thinking, I have no clue, I'm going to give you one today. And this one overrides. This one trumps them all. There may be others. I'm not saying there aren't. And don't let go of something. If God's told you to do it, then get on and do it because he's told you that for a reason. But there's something that trumps it all. Something that trumps it all. God's ultimate purpose for us all. 
and that is that we know him and that we are changed into his image. Just let that sink in for a minute, that we know him, we're known by him, and we're changed into his image. Roger, I meant to ask you this before, but I forgot. Can you just get a sort of heartbeat going on your leg, you know? Boom. Or Scott, then, I don't know. Somebody, Scott, can you just beat a, a... It doesn't matter what beat, just beat something on your leg. Okay, so imagine this is God's heartbeat. And when I start out, I might be like this. It's a bit out of kilter, isn't it? out of kilter but God's destiny for me is that I become one with him so that ultimately I'm beating with his heartbeat I'm one with him you know the amazing thing about it is that Joy, keep going sorry I've lost it thank you the amazing thing is it's not just me so Beth you can join in too and Bob and everyone That's unity. It's not hard, is it? It's not about what's up here and what we believe. It's about our hearts being changed to be one with God's heart. Because then there's unity. Sorry, I've lost. I can't. I can't. Everyone, everyone who knows me knows I can't tap a rhythm and keep it going. <laughs> Thank you. So that's a little illustration. That's God's overriding purpose for us that we get to know Him. So I've got some Bible verses here. I do need that. Ephesians four, verse thirteen. It's talking about why we have the church and all the apostles and prophets that go into the church to build them up. And it says, God, this is God's goal, that we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, it's Ephesians 4, verse 13. And in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18... It says that we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So I'd just like to put to you today that no matter what the other goals, purposes are, that that is God's overriding over, over it all, trumping it all, purpose for our lives, to transform us into the image of Jesus, okay? So like I said then, oh, things come off, we start our journey, and don't get me wrong, because I don't want to undo all of Mark's preaching, clearly when we're born again, Christ comes in us by his spirit, and we do receive his new nature, yeah? That's a given. We know that. We've been well taught on that. We're well versed on that, yeah? But like we've also been hearing, we still have bits of our carnal nature and our flesh to deal with, don't we? And we don't automatically, suddenly, all look perfectly like Jesus. Sorry to break this to you, Um, particularly those of you that are close to me. I've seen that sometimes you're not like Jesus, yeah? Okay, and me, I can say it to myself, Olive, sometimes I've seen that you're not. Okay, so um, we're not there yet, are we? Yeah, we're still looking to see His nature transform us into His, be transformed into His nature. So you'd think that there'd be a really easy path for God to do that. Um, <laughs> but it says in Psalm 23 that He leads us in His paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Okay, God's path of righteousness. I found something really cool out, right? Okay, because I would like to suggest to you that life doesn't go like that; it goes more like this.
or getting dizzy. Okay, I'll stop there for the moment. We'll carry that journey on in a little bit. <laughs> doesn't it? Kind of goes more like that, doesn't it? And you know what? I found out, courtesy of the guy that wrote the Passion Translation, the little footnote on Psalm 23 about leading us in paths of righteousness, that in the hills of Israel, this is what the sheep do. They're aiming up the mountain, but they go round in circles, and it says... He leads us in circular paths of righteousness. The sheep on the hills of Israel circle their way up higher. They eventually form a path that leads them higher. And that's the picture that David would have had when he wrote this psalm. Sometimes it feels like we're going around in circles in our life, doesn't it? Any of you, you probably haven't been alive long enough, but I have. Sometimes you can feel like you're going around in a circle. You think, hang on, I've been here before. <laughs> yeah? can feel like it, can't it? Those of us that are old enough are nodding wisely. Those of you who haven't yet got there, I'll warn you now, okay? It's going to happen. You'll think, I've been here before, all right? Um, but actually, God's leading us in his path. He's doing something on that journey to our heart to make him more like Jesus. And he'll lead us ever higher as, as we go. So, there we go. Here comes my life again. I had to stop because I was getting dizzy. There's been a song that I've kind of been singing quite a lot recently. One of those Will Reagan songs that, when you, if you boil it down, you think it's just got nothing to it, but it's just fantastic. Songs are sometimes like that, aren't they? And the first part of that song is, I lean not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. That's a good lyric to sing over and over and get into your spirit. Okay. <laughs> I know that I can trust you. I know that I can trust you. Right, I'm trying to put some loops in here. Okay, I'm going to put a little loop there. Because sometimes, along life's way, some things happen. And they'll have happened to all of us, won't they? Life happens. And life takes on all sorts of different flavours for all of us. Sometimes it can be like we're, we're ringing it on success. Sometimes we can get some other things that happen to us that trip us up along the way. It might be failure in something. Something we expected to go well didn't go as well as we thought. Maybe some, we thought we knew how something was going to turn out, and it turned out really differently. Maybe we got hurt, or maybe we got disappointed along the way. Or maybe something was taken away from us. Or maybe something we really, really thought was ours wasn't ours. All sorts of things. Life happens to all of us, doesn't it? And it's not about the fact that God isn't with us, because we know, don't we? Again, we've been well-versed. God is good. All of the time, he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness from one generation to another. We know that God is good and God is always for us and always with us. And he never leaves us alone. He never leaves us to walk these things alone. But he's always there with us. And on these parts of the journey, <laughs> it's what goes on in our heart that counts. And this is part of what God's overriding purpose is. Part of what he uses to transform us to be made into the image of his son, Jesus. Part of what he uses to change us. And it's about how, what we do at that point. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit because I want to just touch on some other stuff first. So God's higher call to know him. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, that to know, the verb to know, in English, we don't really have a good word for it. In French, it's a little bit better because they have two different ones. <laughs> but in Hebrew, that word to know is actually used of the intimacy of a man and wife. It says, you know, Abraham knew his wife, Sarah. Yeah. 
So it's talking about when two people become one. And that's the kind of knowing that God wants with us. He wants us to really know him so that we become one. That's his goal. The trials, the tribulations, all the things that happen are transforming me to be like him. And one of the things that can happen when we encounter these things along the way is either we can let God work in our heart or what sometimes happens is we start to hang on to some things, start to hold on to some things. Maybe we've already started to hold on to some things that we think are more important. So maybe we're thinking, right, I'm going there. That is what I'm going to hold on to. And then these other things that come along the way, I don't get those. I don't see how they fit into this picture. But I'm holding on to that thing over there because that's what I think is right. That's what I think I'm going for. That's what I think is important. That's what I value. And the Spirit of God might be needing to do something in our heart to say, hang on a minute, let's just circle my path of righteousness. Because my path of righteousness might not be the same as you. The things that you think are important might not be where my heartbeat is. My heartbeat might say there's something else in this that's more important than what you're seeing right now. I want us to read from Philippians chapter 3. Starting at verse 7. You'll recognize that this is Paul talking. And initially, yeah, he's talking about his salvation experience and what he left behind. He chose to follow Jesus. But I believe, and I did find a commentary that said it as well, so it's not just me, (laughs) that actually it was about his life from that point on. And I believe that this should also be about our lives from the point of salvation on for us. So this is what he says. Whatever former things I had that might have been gains to me, I've come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. I'm reading from the Amplified in case you're wondering. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I've lost everything and consider it to be all mere rubbish, refuge, dregs, in order that I may win Christ and that I may actually be found and known in him. And there's the word of righteousness that Mark's been talking about. Go down to verse 10. For my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, and that I may share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death that if possible, I may attain the spiritual resurrection which lifts me up from among the dead. (laughs) Counting it all as nothing for the sake of knowing Christ. Another line in this song that I referred to says, I'll climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I was thinking about that. And... um, what that meant. So I think that's a bit of a funny line in the song, isn't it? I'll climb this mountain with my hands wide open. 
my first instinct is we'll probably fall off the mountain then. But anyway, um, that aside, I was thinking, and we were in a, Roger and Nick and I went over to a worship connection day, which Chris Bowater, who's an old um, worship leader, was taking. One of the things he got us to do was to worship with our hands open, face down, rather than up. And I was really struck by that, because at the t- I guess because of what I was thinking about at the time. How like, so often we can hold on to things, but God is saying, will you let them go? Will you count those things that you value, Olive? Will you count those things as loss compared to the surpassing joy of knowing me? Those things, Olive, that you really want, that you really cling to, that you really think are important, will you let them go? Because there's a much greater goal. It's a much greater goal. Those things won't satisfy you to the degree that knowing me will. And if you'll walk with me, letting go of everything, letting go, not holding on to anything except me, that's God talking, not holding on to anything except God, then we'll find that surpassing joy, that greater goal, that greater purpose, and we'll find ourselves being transformed into his likeness, into the image of Christ. You know, Jesus was the absolutely extreme example of this, wasn't he? If you flick back to Philippians 2, It tells us to have this same attitude that Jesus had in verse 5. Let this same attitude and purpose be in you, which was in Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but stripped himself of everything, every privilege and every rightful dignity to assume the guise of a servant so that he became like man born as a human being. You know, if, God, if Jesus can let go of his God deity, his deity and his kingly rights and everything for the sakes of you and me so that we can be like him, what is it that we can hold on to that in any way compares to that? There's nothing, is there? Nothing that we even have to come close to that, that is like that. So God's goal when we face these things in life is that we let go of things nothing that we hold on to, but that we yield to him and his heart. And there's a verse that I love, which is found in an unlikely place, I always think, maybe that's just my brain, in Jonah chapter 2. So this is prayed from the belly of the fish. (laughs) Perhaps that's why. And Jonah says, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I think that's amazing. From the belly of a fish, I'm tempted to say whale because everybody sings that song, but it's a big fish. Those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I don't know about you. Probably I'm not the only one that either knowingly or unknowingly started to cling to some idols along my journey. They're not like idols of stone like they used to be in the olden days, are they? A bit more subtle for us. Yeah. Somebody has a big statue of Buddha. You can tell it's an idol, can't you? (laughs) Some of the things that get hold of our hearts might not be so obvious for people to see. (laughs) At this point in my preparation, right, I'm saying, okay, Holy Spirit, I know what mine are. (laughs) Or some of them. I will. But thereby hangs another story. <laughs> See, probably about a year or just over a year ago, um, I was very challenged when I watched a um, podcast of the, the guys that lead worship at Bethel. 
and they were like just sharing a thing about how they were family together and all this and all this and it was like amazing stuff because if you ever watch them you see how they really honor and prefer one another in love and how their whole heart that just so comes out and I was just really struck by that I was thinking I wonder what it is <laughs> anyway and they're talking about it and right at the end they're talking about being vulnerable and right at the end Stephanie Gretzinger starts praying this prayer and I'm like listening to this podcast and I'm like, <laughs> start howling like, like you do if you're me in the presence of God hits you. None of you are like that, of course, but I'm, I'm a bit like that, as anybody who knows me will know. And I think, why is this just so touching me? Being vulnerable. And she talks about how like you've got to be prepared to love one another through the mess. Because if you're vulnerable with one another, there's a bit of mess, isn't there? There is, isn't there? Because we're all on a journey. We're not all perfect yet. And you've got to trust that people around you are going to love you and not give up on you. You've got to trust that people are going to take you for who you are and accept you. Not think, well, she's not who I thought she was. So vulnerability <laughs> something that sometimes I would like to suggest we cling on to some walls of self-defense and self-preservation. I'm guilty. So if you've been around in this church for a while, you realize it hasn't always been an easy journey. And I'll be honest and say that a few years back, I put up some defences because I didn't know how else to deal with some stuff that was going on. Part of my journey, part of my journey around here. Part of my needing to listen to how the Spirit of God wants to deal with that, but maybe I missed some things that he was saying to me. And instead of allowing him to work in my heart, I thought, okay, I know how to deal with this. I'll just put up a little wall. You can come this far, but I won't let you see any more than that. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable anymore. It hurts too much hurts too much and I wonder if some of you are in that place all sorts of reasons all sorts of people can do things intentionally or not intentionally but we can perceive it's how we perceive it isn't it and if it's had that effect in our heart and we've had that response I'd like to suggest that that's an idol that we're clinging on to that God is saying climb this mountain don't hold on to it let it go let it go let it go because I want to transform your heart to be like mine <laughs> Jesus was vulnerable, totally vulnerable, totally vulnerable, gave up everything, exposed everything that he was for us, took on all of our muck, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, doesn't condemn us, deals with it. So I'm getting to this point, and you kind of think, well, okay, I'll be vulnerable then. <laughs> but also, I thought, some of the things that are my issues might not be your issues, and I'm not here just to sort of, you know, self-confession of Olive this morning. I'm here to try and build you up and edify you and stir up your faith and stir up your desire to get to this ultimate goal of being one with Jesus and knowing him, knowing him, knowing him intimately and being changed into his image. So I also asked the Holy Spirit what some of your things might be. So I hope you have ears to hear. Because, you know, like, God only shows us things because he wants us to change, change us, and his heart is always for our good. But don't worry, I'm not going to name and shame anyone, because I don't know who any of you are. <laughs> I'm just going to bring out some things that I felt these were what the Holy Spirit wanted, wanted to, um, to point, pinpoint me, and me to think about. So one of the things that I want to start with is um, thinking about the whole thing about God wanting our worship. Yeah? So in Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, and no, 6, verse 13, sorry, and 10 verse 20, it says, you know, you should love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. One of the key things that God wants, he is the one that wants our worship. Only God, only God, 
only God that wants our worship, wants our heart. You know, worship means giving him worth. What you put your worth, what you give worth to. That's what worship is. What you give worth to. That's worship. And God wants that. And God created us. When he created us, he made us to be creatures that would worship, that would give something worth. But because God is God, he doesn't demand it of us in the sense that that's all we can do is give it to God. He invites us to give him that worth. But he gives us that choice. So we can actually choose whether we're going to give God worth, our worship, and be the only one that we worship, or if we're going to share it out, give it to some other things as well. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the fact that <laughs> why do we struggle so much with some things? And particularly, I'm going to talk a little bit about this whole thing about recognition and honour. Why do we struggle with that and wanting, wanting ourselves to be recognised, which is a bit like giving myself worth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, why do we struggle with that so much? And I was just thinking about Satan, <laughs> like you do. Because <laughs> like, Satan was... was before he fell, one amazing heavenly being. Yeah? He was right up there with God. He was beautiful. But you know, he had a, a flaw in that he thought, why should God get all the worship? Because in heaven, think about it, what happens in heaven? All the elders, all the angels, they're all going, worthy, worthy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Worthy is the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. There is only one cry in heaven in terms of their worship, and that is the glory and the honour and the adulation of the almighty God and the lamb. That's all that's sung in heaven. So when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is the song, this is an aside, by the way, that is the song we need to get out into the atmospheres of our cities and our nations and in our houses and everywhere we go. That's the song, that's heaven on earth, that there is only one, God, you are worthy, you are holy, you alone are honoured. But Satan got a bit of the hump, <laughs> didn't he? Because he wanted some. He thought, well, why should God get it all? Look at me, I'm pretty big, I'm pretty good. But that doesn't go well with God. <laughs> and so he got chucked out of heaven and he came down to earth. Sent down to earth. Sorry if I'm theologically wrong there. Anyway, but we know the story of what happened in the Garden of Eden, that man fell, um, gave in to Satan, and so Satan acquired the authority, the keys for the earth, yeah? So he acquired that because of sin. And we know the story of sin and how it got into the world and all that. I'm not going to talk about that. But he has always been seeking for people either to worship him directly or to worship anything other than God because to him anything other than God is success if he can get people's hearts away from giving worth to God that's success in Satan's eyes and so he tries it on <laughs> even with Jesus so in Luke chapter 4 right verse verse 5 it says then the devil took him this is Jesus up a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the habitable world in a moment of time and he said to him to you I'll give all this power and authority and their glory for it has been turned over to me and I can give it to whomever I will that was true wasn't it yeah and if you think about it why had Jesus come come to get it back to come to get it back so here's satan saying i can give you a quick way up your mountain pretty quick way without all this 
journey that you're going to go on. Because even Jesus, the Bible tells us, learned obedience through what he suffered. So Satan says, I'll give you all that because it's mine to give. All you have to do is give homage to me and worship me. My Bible in brackets says, just once. Just once. Not forever. Just once. Just once. That's all Satan wanted of him. And it will be yours. Whoa. Remember, at this point in time, Jesus is walking on earth as a man. What a temptation that must have been. What a temptation that must have been. You can have your goal, Jesus. All you have to do is worship me. So Satan's always, even with the Son of God, trying to get us to worship anything other than God, to worship him in some other way instead. And so it's not a surprise, is it? Of course, we know Jesus didn't do it, by the way. Oh, actually, I'm going to talk to you about that. Because what did Jesus do? I love this, all right? So Jesus says, where is it? Get behind me, Satan. It is written, you shall do homage to and worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So I don't know about you, but um, when you're tempted by the devil, do you often use that phrase, get thee behind me, Satan? Doesn't quite trip off our tongues these days, does it? Okay, so I, I, have, I have a helpful illustration for you, okay? So this is what I do. This is the, my equivalent of get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I'm not a rugby fan. Apologies to Les, only he's not here. Apologies Sarah and Rob. I'm not a rugby fan. I can't kind of get it. But one thing I love the thought of is being able to drop that ball and... Sorry. <laughs> welly it out of the football pitch. I think that would be so cool to do that. So for me, when Satan gets on my back about something that he's trying to tempt me to do, that's what I imagine myself being. In a big field, I take this thing, I'm not going to better not do it again, and I welly it out. And that's my equivalent of saying, get thee behind me, Satan. It's a little tip for you later when you're looking for some of those to do. Because that's quite effectively what Jesus did, and that's what we need to do. Um, so where am I going with this? What am, what am I trying to say? Satan is trying to get us to worship anything other than God. God wants us to worship only him. Our heart is that we worship only him, but sometimes other things get in the way, don't they? So I wanted to talk about this thing that we cling on to <laughs> um, sometimes whilst we're going up the mountain. Though I think God is saying, you just need to let that one go because that will hold you up and that's not my path of righteousness and I want to train you to be like Jesus. I want to change you to be like Jesus and Jesus didn't display this attitude. And that is that we so often want honour or recognition from people, don't we? We might not think we do. And a lot of the time we don't, but sometimes we do. And sometimes it's really deep. I'm just going to let you think about it for a minute. Because I think all kind of Christian response, oh, no, I don't want that. <laughs> oh, it was God. <laughs> but if we're really honest, and to some extent, it's not wrong that we like to be encouraged and praised because I don't want us to stop encouraging and praising each other because that is fantastic and we need to do that. Yeah? We need to encourage one another. But what I'm saying, for where you're, what's in your heart? What is the motive? Because yeah? that's what these things come down to, your heart attitudes, your heart motives. So if you do something, why are you doing it? And what's more important to you? Is it more important that you've done the thing that God has asked you to do and not a soul said of the word? But you know you've done what the father wanted or is it more important to you that actually you do something that looked good and people said wow that was amazing what people think of us we can so easily be defined by that can't we and it can work two ways so that's me doing it in a possible way it can work the other way that someone says ah, I don't think you can do that I've had that one used to start with my sister <laughs> don't do that <laughs> big sisters they like to give you their advice don't they that was when I was so high. But it goes on. No, Olive, you can't do that. That's a stupid idea. 
I used to have a lot of stupid ideas. Some of you probably tell me I still do that. I can, I can have that tendency. So I do need a few people in my life to ground me and say, yeah, that's a bit stupid. Okay, but it can get into your spirit and get into your heart and be a bit of a wound along the mountain that we kind of hold on to. Well, I've got to worry about what people think. Will people think this is a good idea? Or will people think this is a stupid idea? Is this one of my off-the-wall ideas that I really shouldn't do? Or is this something that I should do? And we can get more worried about other people's thoughts of us than we can be concerned about what God thinks of us. <laughs> another verse that I've, another song, sorry, I should say, a chorus in a song that I find, found really helped me in this one. I was struggling with thinking about, God, I'm just, ah, who am I? What have I got? What, have, what, what am I good at? What shall I do? What shall I do? What do you want me to do? What am I, what am I here for? <laughs> when I'm thinking all of those things and you're in that place, I don't know. Then coming back to that thing about, God, it's your thoughts that define me, not other people's thoughts. And what I'll come on to in a minute, not my own thoughts, but your thoughts, because you're inside me and you're my reality. And we can so often get caught up and hold on to all these other things that become like too big and they keep us from just giving ourselves to worshipping God. And if we get caught up in that negative thing about what we think about ourselves, we can get into this whole realm of self-doubt, can't we? Into this whole realm of thinking, well, I'm just no good. I've not got this, or I can't do that, or I'm no good at anything. I'll just curl up in a little corner, or I'll just go quietly on my way and nobody will notice. And we can get into this thing of self-doubt that, that I, and, you know, <laughs> I'm no good at anything. And if we're not careful, though, because actually underlying in here sometimes comes this thing that Joyce talked about some months ago called pride, we end up feeling a bit of self-pity, and we can hold on to self-pity. Any of you ever been there? We can, can't we? We can start feeling sorry for ourselves. And it might not be the obvious, oh, I'm really sorry for myself. It might not be like that. It can be a lot more subtle than that, and I think more often than not it is. We can end up feeling like, well, I could have done that. I could have done that. Perhaps I could. But I can't now, or I'm not now going to do that. So what do I feel? Do I let it go? and trust God with my life? Or do I keep on feeling sorry for myself? Or do I keep on feeling like I had rights? I had rights. Because we do, don't we, often? We often have rights. But it's not about our rights. God's path of righteousness is not about our rights. It's about surrendering our hearts and letting him change our hearts in the most midst of those things that we find a challenge because he's more interested that my heart is right through what I'm walking in than that I achieve something or that I do something. You want to know the antidote to that one? It's really easy. Really easy. You start feeling self-pity. Start praising God. Start worshipping God. Because if you lift your eyes and you focus on him, you take him off yourself. <coughs> Best thing to do. It's the last thing you feel like doing but it's the best thing to do. And I guarantee you, from personal experience, it'll change it in a moment, in a moment, in a moment, in a moment. And even if it doesn't, keep doing it anyway, because <laughs> sometimes our feelings take a little bit of a while to catch up. But the thing to do is to praise him, give him worth, focus on him. You can't look at yourself and him both at the same time. So get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off yourself and look at him. He's got your rescue, but you'll miss it if you keep hold of it. Climb up the mountain. Some of these things you might think, well, I've never felt that. Probably will one day. So bear it in mind for then. 
What about our ambitions? And if you feel like you hold on to your ambitions, position, work, what people think of you at work, your wisdom, that's one I had to be careful of. I went through a phase where completely by chance or completely by who I was at that time, I was in a, um, this is related to work, I was in a leadership course and we had to do these group discussions and like, I'm really rubbish at group discussions because I'm like, I'm a bit of a slow processor. So everyone's, you know, all the talkers and the extroverts are going like this, 19 to the dozen and I'm there trying to process it all. And then like, right at the end, I come out with one line and everyone's like, <laughs> and it became a bit of a joke on the table I was with that, you know, they'd all do this and I'd come out with the one liner that kind of summed it all up. And I, I have to confess, right, I thought, I quite like that. I quite like that. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I want to be known for the one liner. I like that. I thought, yeah. There's this fantastic verse in Proverbs, this is a little aside as well, sorry, which says that um, even a fool seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Good reason to keep your mouth shut sometimes. Anyway, so I quite like that, but you know what can happen? That can trip me up. Because if I start thinking, well, that's what I'm going to be like, and I focus on being like that, you know what will happen, don't you? I won't come out with any one-liners that have any sort of substance to them at all. Because it's just the way He doesn't want me to start being proud. He doesn't want me to start thinking more highly of myself than I ought or that I've got something that other people haven't. <laughs> Stinks. Stinky attitude. So, hey, Olive, let's just, let's just look at that for a minute. Let's park here on this little mountain. Go around that a little bit. Get you to yield your heart to me again. Because I want you to be more like me. That's more important. Being like me is more important than being seen by people to have one likeness. That's a little example for me. You can fill in the gaps for you. Hurt. We've all suffered it, haven't we? Some of us in a really painful way. And you have every right to hold on to it, the pain that it caused you. It wasn't your fault. You didn't deserve it. But you got really hurt, really wounded. You can hold on to it. But even that, God says, do you know that you can trust me? But if you let it go, let it go. Let it go. I can transform your heart to be my like, like my heart. And we can use that in your path of righteousness to become more like me. I want to read from um, Hebrews. Um, I've got this printed out because I'm really going to read it from the Passion Translation just because I quite like how it words it, but it, obviously you can read it in anything. It's going to use this word discipline, which we kind of run away from a little bit, don't we? If discipline kind of freaks you out a bit and you can't cope, just think of the word training. And if you're still struggling with that analogy, just think about parents and kids, because that's what it's going to talk about. Okay. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, halfway through verse 1. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion 
and determination, for the path has already been marked out for us. Might not be the path you thought. Might have taken twists and turns and gone round in circles. Been different to you anticipated, but it was already marked out for you. Already marked out for you. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was filled with the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures, forgetting your destiny. After all, you haven't yet reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin, like Jesus did in the garden. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. <laughs> we do, don't we? Sorry. <laughs> For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. And that his ultimate goal is working on it for you. He loves you so much that he's not prepared to let you get somewhere quick, but not be how he wants you to be. Not be like him. Not know him in that way he desires to know you. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For whoever has heard of a child never, sorry, for who has ever heard of a child who never needed to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers, even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them, but God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness, the full stature of the nature of Christ, holiness. Now, all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. But later, it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. I don't know about you, but I want to climb my mountain, my life, with my hands open, not holding on to anything, but trusting my life to the maker of heaven, knowing that I can trust him, and knowing that his ultimate purpose for me is that I know him and am known by him, that I'm transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. My life reflects him and who he is, that I'm like him. And I don't want to hold on to things on the way. You think back that passage in Philippians where I started Paul talked about counting everything as garbage 
the sake of knowing Christ. And I want to challenge us this morning to respond to what God has been saying. And I think he'll have been saying different things to different people, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit has touched something for you. So there are some garbage, isn't there, that we've picked up. Some stuff that we hold on to. That the Spirit of God right now is quickening in you to say, you need to let go of that. So what I'm going to ask you, we're not going to make a line and pray for each other, because this is you and God. What I'm going to do is going to put some bits of paper and some pens on the floor. You might have your own, that's fine. Grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, would like the pens back at the end. <laughs> um, Write on it what you feel the Holy Spirit has highlighted that you're holding on to. We'll take a moment in a minute to, to just get in that place to make sure we know what that is. When you've written it up, screw it up, chuck it in the garbage bin. as an act of what you're going to let go of. And as a prayer to God, that you're going to follow him along his paths of righteousness for that ultimate purpose of knowing him, being known by him being transformed into his image. Years ago, I was in a meeting where they challenged us to write what we'd like on our epitaph. And at the time, I was like, I don't know what I would write on my epitaph. And I was in a really bad mood about it because I just it was, it was one of my seasons where I had no idea what I was on, on the planet for. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. what. I, how can I write that? I don't even know what I'm here for. So I was having a real grump to myself about it, <laughs> like you do. And, but it, what happened was that... <laughs> I'm a bit of a slow learner, so like out of the room, a little while later, I start to let God work in my heart. Okay, God, what's all this about? Why can't I do that? Let God work in my heart. And I basically, over the course of time, I came up with this. What I want to be written on my epitaph is, here lies a woman that knew God, that was known by God, and that made him known. Nothing better is there. Nothing better than to know him in that sense that we become one, that my heart beats like his, his heart beats, that I'm one with him, that I'm transformed into his image. He already knows me perfectly, but I can only experience that knowing of me that he knows when I let him in. Yeah? There's nothing wrong with God's knowledge of me. He knows me intimately from before the moment I was born. But that shared knowledge comes as I let go and get to know him and then let, allow him to reveal to me what he knows of me that I haven't even seen yet. God knows stuff about me that I'm oblivious about. And I need to let him show me what he knows about me. And then the natural consequence of that is to make him known because that's what's in Jesus' heart, isn't it? That he makes him known and accessible to everyone. So the overriding purpose above all other purposes in your life be made into his image. And I challenge us that whatever you're going through, whatever life circumstances are, that you take time with the Spirit of God and say, what is it, God? What is it that you're wanting to show me in this journey? 